What's for lunch? T-double-B-L-C. Stay in your seat. What's for lunch today? Brown bag, brown bag. The Brown Bag Lunch Group. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, folks. This is TWBLC. I'm your co-host, Curtis Quinn, here with my other co-host, Drew Luster, down in Gloucester, Mass., a stone's throw away, some would say, from where I am today. But let's dig right in and unpack the bag, Drew. Uh, we're going to go into Stuff We Hate. That'll be our first segment. But first, I want to give out a shout-out to what I'm wearing today on top of the head. Gloucester gear. Great hat. Shout-out Gloucester gear. Shout-out Gloucester gear. Wear what the locals wear. Designs of the island, tailored for the island. There you go, Shima. Now, let's get on to the Stuff We Hate. <laughs> Drew... What do you got this week for us? Yeah, I have a bone to pick. I know you you guys, a ton of people out there have probably watched the show Catfish. Um, the, a ton of you guys out there have also probably been to Chuck E. Cheese. You're wondering what those two have in common, and uh, I'll tell you what it is. There was a report that came out earlier today, folks, that Chuck E. Cheese's across America are essentially catfishing customers by changing their name on mobile order apps like Grubhub, Uber Eats, etc., to, um, and I quote, Pasquale's Pizza, because nobody will order their trash food. Um, and for your reference, there was also a myth um, that sort of arose from the ashes. I want to say it was a couple of years ago I first heard about it, when they, the myth about how they were reusing pizza, like people would leave. <laughs> no. People would leave. What? Like remnants on the plate, like there's a half-eaten slice and they'd toss it back in the yeah. oven? Yes, like say it was your birthday, we were all there. We all leave, the person would come back, grab it, and they'd just form a pizza together with reused slices, put it back in the oven, let it all melt onto itself again and serve that. Um, which is say, absolutely from repulsive. An, from an economical standpoint, that is a genius like marketing strategy, or not marketing strategy, but like genius production strategy because you're – you have no waste. Like all your waste <laughs> is being put back in the oven and sold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but at the same time, if you were the one ordering that pizza, would you want just reuse no, slices? No. So that's where no. the, I guess the marketing strategy comes in to never <laughs> let anybody know you're doing that. No, I, somehow it got leaked. I think it was honestly like a, an ex coworker. I feel like that's always the case. You have those salty co-workers who leave and then they just leak all of the horrible things that these types of you know establishments are doing which i'm here for it i love it so to kind of wrap everything up my hate of the week is chuck e cheese they're catfish um chuck e cheese pasquale's pizza some would call them fraudulent um i would and i'll never be returning there in my life and i'll never support them as a company i think it's absolutely insane what they're doing well let's get it straight like we wouldn't want you returning until you had a child maybe and that that's a couple <laughs> years down the road so if you were to go to a chuck e cheese i think the entire population would be concerned that you're at a chuck e cheese at the age of 24 <clears throat> i don't think they would want me there either so i totally agree with you but they are my hate of the week i saw that i, I couldn't believe my eyes but at the same time i was like you know what after i really thought about it, i was like this is something they would do like they are that low considering that they reuse slices so 
They're my hashtag hate of the week. All right. I like it. I like it off the off the beaten path, some would say. As for my hate of the week, this one irks me pretty much every day. And I'm not the fastest golfer there is. But if you are not able to play golf in under four hours, then just get off the course. Like, I don't care if you're a good golfer, a bad golfer, whatever. If you can't play in under four hours, because I know people who can shoot 130 and play in under that. Like, get a cart, do whatever you got to do yeah. to get around the course under that. And nobody mm-hmm. complains because everybody sections off four hours of their day. If they're going to play 18, they're like, well, if it takes under that, like gold, we'll take it. Yeah. But yeah. what brought this up for me was a tweet this week from Mark Mulder. Uh, former athletics and St. Louis Cardinals left-hander in the majors. Finished 18 holes with my son this morning. Guy in front of us tells us after that my son taking practice swings in the fairway, usually 130 yards or more out from him, while he was putting was inconsiderate and rude. Our verbal exchange didn't go well for him, needless to say. There's so many situations on the golf course that you get into like this. Uh, Down in Texas, I was behind. I was a single playing behind this foursome, uh, not great golfers or anything, but if they were to play 18 holes, they might have took five and a half hours. So first eight holes go by. They're not letting me through. I'm starting to get a little riled up because it's looking at like two, two hours, 30 minutes, and we're only on the eighth hole. So I hit a drive behind them, give them a little nudge, you know. It's not going to reach them, but it's going to roll up close enough where they're like, oh, he, he kind of hit into us. Uh, they go up there, next shot. The guy drops four balls after he tops about three of them. And I'm in the fairway. On the fourth one, I just throw my hands up. Throw them up. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Well, the guy sees this. He drives back and starts yelling at me how inconsiderate and rude I am because he paid the same amount of money to play oh this course. Well, guess what? I didn't sign up to pay $40 to sit behind you for six hours on the course in 85 no. degree heat and there's nope. nobody in front of them the the inconsiderate and rude part is on them because all they have to do is let you go for five minutes and nobody on the course will complain yeah so that's my yeah. hate of the week and mark Mulder getting in this guy's face i would have liked to see it mark Mulder's six six so a unit pretty intimidating force mm-hmm. there with his kid I imagine this guy ran like a dog with the tail between the legs on the way out of that golf course. I would guess. And I think I, for me, I think I'm the perfect example of someone who is absolutely terrible at golf, but I know when it's, I know when enough is enough on a given hole. Like at some point you just got to wrap it up, pick up your ball and move on. It's not, I understand that it's not acceptable at my skill level, at least on a, on any given you know day where you're out where you're going out golfing, to just drop four balls and pretend that you're at Richardson's sucking down a chocolate frap, hitting balls off. It, it's just not the time or the place for that. Yeah. And a funny story actually. I remember when we were at was it um, it might have been Rockport or Cape Bancourt. I think it was me, you, Bill, somebody else, and there was two or three guys in front of us going super slow. And we let you hit on, I want to say the the ninth, and you hit an absolute bomb just directly over their heads. And I think it landed in front of them, like 10 feet in front of them. And they were just absolutely shook. And me and Billy were behind you looking at each other like, this kid is fucking crazy that he just did this. 
And just seeing their reactions and their heads just whip back as the ball literally, you, they probably heard it kind of, you know, zoom by them and hit and hit right over their heads. But that was, I can't not bring up that moment because it is something I will never forget. Me and Billy were just sitting there like so just uncomfortable. And like, we just, it was like a car crash. Like we we're looking, but we're like, this could go terrible right now, but we're just going to sit back and watch. That was and that was in my younger days. I was a different <laughs> golfer back then. I wouldn't do that. I would say more aggressive. in today's yeah. day and age. Um, but I, I will, you know, kind of force the issue and start playing pretty fast behind somebody to make yeah. them feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially if they're not letting you play through. Because for me, I'm not, like I said, not the fastest golfer out there. I've played in my fair share of tournaments where I'm one of the slower ones out there. And I feel uncomfortable with people behind me. Like, I want to yeah. let them go through, and I do let them go through. If they're playing faster and I have a full foursome and it's one guy who's not going to slow you down in the least bit, the no. most considerate thing you can do is let that person play through. They'll have a great time playing an hour and 20 minutes for nine holes, and you'll play at the normal two-hour pace. Yep, exactly. That'll wrap up our <laughs> Stuff We Hate segment this week. I do have to address the elephant in the room, which was – Jason Vizina's roast of TWBLC at the end of Beneath the Bars episode last week, as I called him out for Fraud of the Week. Uh, he did point to our Instagram followers in a spiteful way, some would say. Uh, we, we, I won't discuss internal numbers of Spotify and Apple podcasting uh, for streams of theirs. It's not that impressive. We'll, we'll just say that. <laughs> uh, YouTube views the same thing. TWBLC supports them uh, with the technology and provides them all the editing and video they need. But he came after us, so what did we do as, you know, a group of leaders, leaders of men? <laughs> we went out there and we grinded. We got the Instagram followers. We're up almost to 400. We're at 392 currently. Yep. You know, he said we were going to be stuck at 309 and they were going to go to 10,000. Meanwhile... <laughs> You know, I had to rile up the troops this week. I had to hold people accountable in the text. I had to yeah. say, hey, we got to get yeah. this product out here. And they are a sarcastic bunch. You, you know, Drew, you're in the group. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a little difficult for them to get them motivated, but I, I think I, I went the right route of just yeah full force in your face. <laughs> in your face. And try to, try to get them to perform. And they, they did. They came out they Sunday and they performed. Yeah, it's all about motivation, I think, with that with that with that bunch. Um, this is going to be a half rhetorical, half you know, literal question, and I I do want you to answer the question too. I'll okay. give you, I'll preface it by that. What would happen if you just one day decided to just you know step away from beneath the bar? What would happen in terms of you know recording and production and editing and it would it would grind to a halt unless they found somebody. I'm not saying I'm the only one who can do it, but they're like he, they would have to go out and find somebody to do it. Currently, Vizina has no capability to edit videos apparently because his laptop is too old. Uh, he hasn't searched for a tablet, anything that could you know possibly help the cause. And then Kenzie and Adam, I mean, they're they like to describe themselves as the content guys, which that's <laughs> fine. That's but fair. You got to do a little a little background work to prop up the pod. So yeah, yeah. As far as production goes, it could be done. I think they would just need to find some some motivated people to continue the work. 
That's fair. We love him and we hate him. Let's we make that very clear. It's a love. It's a love-hate relationship, but we do we do support them fully. And again, we will be the bigger group of men and take the high road with this one and just let everybody observe our following. That's what we'll do. Absolutely. Check out the numbers. That's what I'd tell the folks. Look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. They'll never lie. They'll They'll never lie. I'll tell you that right now, folks. They'll tell the real story. Absolutely. And with that, Drew, we're going to wrap up our little intro segment here, and we're going to move on to our guest interview of the week. My good friend, my college golf teammate, Matthew Shubley from the Great White North, looking to make his way up to the PGA Tour at some point. He just got on PGA Tour Canada, folks, and that is a big deal. We're going to dive into the details on this one. So let's see what's in his brown bag. All right, folks, Matt Shubley, a.k.a. Shubs as I know him, joining TWBLC here. Matt, how you doing today? Good, boys. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Absolutely going good on my part. Drew, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. I'm happy to have you on. I know Curtis will probably handle a lot of the golf-centric questions. I got some of my own. Uh, we'll see. We'll get into it, but, but happy to have you. Absolutely. little background on Matt. I played shoe golf with him, Sacred Heart University, Division One golf. I like to call it bad D1. I think he would probably agree. But yeah. from there, he was one of the successful players coming out of there, always the top performer for the most part, our last, I'd say, three years of college, uh, very consistent, and then just got better from there and kind of rolling into what I saw on Instagram a couple of years ago, now that I checked the date, uh, the first professional win up at Amherst Golf Club in Nova Scotia. Uh, if you want to just talk to us first about like college career stuff, and then we'll roll into kind of professional career and then what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously played four years with you at Sacred Heart. I mean, walked in there as a freshman with big aspirations and quickly got kicked down pretty low as a freshman like we all do. You know, you learn, learn the loops of college golf and it usually can get off to some rough starts. And then kind of got my stuff together through sophomore and junior year and then fell right back down senior year when I had a pretty, pretty tough start to the year shooting what 97, 82, 90, something else. Turning stone will always get you. Turning stone, taking, taking the wind out of my sails. And then after a couple of weeks off, you know, in between that and our next couple of events, I worked out some swing kinks. I found a new swing coach uh, in Wayne DeFrancisco who works out down here in Boca and, he helped me out a lot and through that I kind of got a little more consistent and just kept piling on and hopefully continuing to get better. Yeah, gotcha. So you still with that same swing coach then that you found senior year? Yeah, I am. Awesome, awesome. So then, yeah, talk us through after college here and then moving up to that first professional win. Maybe like did you feel it coming up, kind of some good play or was it just kind of sprung sprung on that week and you just found it? Uh, it was, no, it definitely, it was definitely sprung on. I wasn't really playing great golf leading up to it. Oh, I guess, no, I was, I was playing mediocre golf leading up to it. Uh, I was kind of struggling about a month before that and then found something the week before and won my club championship when I was still an AM turned pro for that event. And then just kind of continued to play up there, which was nice. Gotcha. What got hot for you that week? I'm going to guess the putting since you were, 
a pretty predominant ball striker back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely the putter coming around a little bit. I mean, I wish that was a trend still, and I was hitting it as good as I was in college, but it seems to have flipped now, and I seem to be a little bit better in the short game and a little bit better with the flat stick than what I was, and now I'm just waiting for the ball striking to come back. Gotcha. The ebbs and flows of golf, absolutely. I remember back a couple of rounds in, in college when you'd come in, you just hit 18 greens, and you had about, I don't know, 38 putts, 36 putts coming in, even yeah, par. Yeah, that yeah, that was a pretty frequent occurrence in college, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there were a few times. Also, digging into the professional win a little here that week, talk to us a little bit about the field, and then maybe just any nerves coming down the wire, how many strokes you won by, all that. Uh, I mean... I was pretty, I mean, first tee jitters were worse than anything I've ever had before, for sure. And I started on this tight little dog leg left par four. You kind of had to hit like a two iron out to 200 yards. And I just chunk hooked this thing into the hazard. And then, uh, I don't know if I had like 230 and still had to hit another two iron, hit it to the front of the green and chipped in for par. And after that, it was kind of smooth sailing from there. Yeah, the, the nerves kind of went away. Um, but I, it was fun. The field was pretty top-heavy, more uh, more club pros than mini-tour players or guys that had status by any means. Um, but club pros that had played on the McKenzie Tour before, had played on the web before. So it was kind of nice to pick their brains and play with them a little bit. Uh, I think the first day, yeah, first day I shot even par and had like a one or two-shot lead and then day two day two it got pretty shitty and pretty windy and uh i think i shot even par again but i ended up winning by six or seven gotcha a little little grinder stay we know you're a yeah grinder, exactly so that fits yeah it. uh and then yeah. like you said uh a lot of club pro guys but i look at uh tournaments down in mass like the mass open where they get a slew of very good golfers that go to that tournament and that's what I would kind of compare it to for the mass golf listeners. Um, could be different up in Nova Scotia. And then, like you said, the McKenzie tour guys are probably a little higher level uh, than what we're getting down there, but pretty similar. Then now you just got your status on the PGA tour Canada, which is the McKenzie tour. Talk to us about the process uh, getting to that. And then like kind of the next step that it would take, or maybe some similarities to other tours around the world. Uh, I mean, process leading up to it was kind of similar to any, any, or I tried to take it the same as any other tournament that I've played in because, you know, you don't really want to change your routines pre Q school, even though it might be a little bit of a bigger week than any of the other ones. Yep. Uh, I spent a lot of time up at that golf course at mission Inn uh, in Howie in the Hills, uh, because I played my Latin school there two and a half months before that I happened to miss it by miss Latin by two there. But then kind of coming into Canada, I knew that, you know, I had I had the confidence and knew what it took to get in. So I kind of just grinded it out again there. I mean, it's a pretty tough golf course up there, especially when the wind blows. Yeah, built off the past performance from the couple weeks prior. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gotcha. And then as far as the upcoming season and then like what the next step would be, I know there's probably a lot of question marks, but uh, what's the what's the like basic stepping stones to, to move on up from that? Uh, certainly a lot of, certainly a lot of question marks around what this season look like, looks like. Um, I only, as of right now, I only have conditional status, so I have no guaranteed starts. So 
I will have to Monday qualify uh, if I want to get starts out there. Okay. Um, but as of right now, I'm not quite sure what the tour or the season will look like. The last email we got, um, they were waiting on the decision to be made between the Canadian and the U.S. border because I would say 95% of the tour is American or international. I think I think through four or five Q schools or three or four Q schools now, they only have I think five or six Canadians that have status. So yep. it'll be important for the, the Americans to be able to cross the border without having to take a quarantine period or anything of that matter. So they'll wait for that decision and that's, that's being made tomorrow. And then from there, I'm sure they'll make a decision on what they do with the season. And also they have three remaining Q schools to be played. So they have to finish those off, I assume before they start. Gotcha. And for the Monday qualifiers, uh, is that like you have to pay to get into those or is it because you're on the McKenzie tour, you're like at free entry or discounted entry type of deal? Yeah, you get a discounted entry. So for McKenzie Tour qualifiers, they're four hundred and fifty dollars for people without status, and then a hundred dollars for players with status. Gotcha. So it gives you a little bit of an edge there. Yeah, absolutely. You get to play kind of more tournaments than the average guy if he's hitting four fifty pop and not having much yeah. success, which is which is good, and that's why you gain that status to be able to do that. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now. You just got back to the States, as I heard from you a couple of days ago, or are you still up in Canada? No, no, I'm back down here now. I crossed the border last Sunday and then got down to Florida two days ago. Gotcha. And you've been playing, at least today, uh, have you been playing a little bit since you got down there? What's what's the plan? Yeah, I I played an event on Monday, and I mean, that definitely wasn't that hot, but uh, I mean, two months off without touching a golf club is pretty detrimental to yeah synchronizing the swing and stuff so i mean not a great day there were definitely some pluses but a lot of negatives and stuff to work out a little little bit of a better day today but it was just a fun round with some buddies yeah and i mean the great white north not great for the golf game uh, i'd say i don't know october through <laughs> april no well, considering it was snowing the day that i drove down here no it's definitely not yeah all right true Let's open it up to some some oddball questions. I know you got lined up here for them. I do. I've had some pressing ones here. Um, now that the golf talk is over, I think the question that everybody wants to know, uh, I know Curtis and I were discussing this offline a little bit ago. I've never been to Canada. I hear rumblings of, of Timmy Hose. I want to know what the hype is around Timmy Hose. Is it like... What, is it comparable to like a dunks? Is Crack it that popular? Oh, I, I that's why. Hey, let him, let the man speak, please. It would be it'd be like a Duncan, but just way better. Timmy Timmy Hose is godsend, man. It's it can't be beaten. I want to know. There's no comparable. How many are even in the states? Because I know we drove past like two, but they were both in upstate New York. So I'm wondering if there is any. Yeah. Other than like up in the northeast there, or if you go a little there, west too, uh, there's some. I mean, kind of scattered across the northern northern parts and around the northern border. So all through Michigan, northern Ohio, uh, northern New York. There's a couple in New York City, and whenever I got down to New York that's City, wild. I had to make a stop there because it was so close to school. But that's that's pretty much about it. It hasn't really broken into the American market much yet. He's got those things pinged on Google Maps, whatever city he's traveling to. Yeah. If that's oh, there. I know exactly it's on Waze. It's were. like start on Waze. Yeah, yeah whenever yeah, one pops exactly. up. Exactly. 
He gets exactly. the notification. Yeah. Absolutely. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I've heard rumblings. I had to hear it from a, from a true Canadian. My other question is, I know naturally, is we're born and bred to kind of, you know, I guess, hate, hate the Habs and the Leafs and the rivalry between them and the Bruins. What's your favorite hockey team growing up? Who are you? Who are you the biggest fan of, if any? Um, You're gonna like us. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I'm an Ottawa Senators fan, which has been pretty painful over the last three years. They've had a little bit of a slide. I mean, Danny Heatley, fifteen oh five. You can't go wrong with that. But uh, other than that, there's been nothing good to talk about with the Ottawa Senators over the last little bit. Yeah, they made that run there. I want to say it was. Three, I guess, yeah, three three years ago when they had they made uh, that little mini run there. I think they beat our Bruins and then I think made it to the Eastern Conference final. But um, definitely kind of happy to hear that you're not you're not on the uh, the rival side of things. So we'll we'll take that. I think we're starting to hate the Leafs a little bit more than we are the Canadians because the Canadians haven't been so hot lately. I mean, we, we get the seven-game series yeah, with the not... Leafs every single year, and it just it's breeding the hate even more. Oh, I'm sure it is. I mean, you guys just kick the shit of the Leafs anyways. It won't, it won't be seven <laughs> games this year if we even make it to the playoffs. Yeah, we'll see if that opens back up. Drew, you got anything else? Um, I don't think so. I think those are my two pressing questions, uh, just very basic Canadian questions uh, on my end. I think that's it for me, Curtis. I don't know if you have anything else on the on the golf side, sorry, or uh, you know anything outside we'll of that. Go, we'll go to the hockey side of the house. I know it was somewhat of a decision picking golf into college over hockey because you're a good hockey player. Uh, what were some of the other schools maybe you were looking at or places to possibly go play hockey over golf? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been – I wouldn't have been making a decision over schools yet. It was more of a decision of, I mean, like I was a kind of a, a middle of the pack hockey player. Like there was still a lot of improvement that had to be done before I would have had to start looking at schools. But there was also like in order to play hockey in the States, you have to take, you, well, you did you used to have to take two years unless you were an absolute stud and go play junior hockey or yeah. somewhere. So, I mean, there had been a couple, I mean, potential opportunities if I had have played one more year of, uh, minor hockey to maybe play junior somewhere, but uh, I definitely wasn't a stud, so I kind of fell back to golf to see if there was any hope there. And I happened to have a good summer that summer. So, gotcha. Yeah. Well, we're we're glad you stuck with the golf piece. I'd say you are at this point too. Uh, you yeah. Got any, you got any good intramural stories for us to to cap off this little interview here? Anything you can think of on the fly? Oh, inter- intramural stories i mean i don't know our, our intramural volleyball team was pretty killer it was pretty tough to beat us uh tom with i think the I, all-time worst serve i've ever seen in my life but absolutely other, other than that he was a body we needed him yeah no we sometimes we just needed to fill the court we couldn't have five guys out there so yep we needed some help other than that i think i mean i'm pretty sure manor and i won an intramural hockey championship but uh I mean, keep that shit around always. I should probably frame that bad boy, but... Yeah, I would be remiss not to mention me and Seaham taking you and Zach down in the Cornhole Championships to to win a couple of boards uh, to end this intramural segment, but I'll always hold that know. one that one over I don't remember. I don't remember that one. All I remember is Zach and I winning two ponging for hungers, so... 
Yep, yep, that's true. That is true. All Kurt, right. Is that where you got those uh the shoe boards that you that were ripping at your apartment that time? Yeah, I like those how custom you're, ones. You're kind of digging into them here and those <laughs> pres- no, no, those that's pristine not what I'm, shoe yeah, boards. Those, uh, those are still I'm open not, cuts, boys. <laughs> I'm genuinely curious because I, I know you had the boards, but I was just trying to connect the dots and see if I assume that is how yeah, that's how you you acquired them. But yeah, he was the blood we had to spill to get those boards. Uh, <laughs> it was it was a necessary evil. That's that's all I get to say about it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right, thanks, Shubs. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we wish you luck the the rest of the year. Hopefully, it opens back up, and I'll definitely be playing some golf with you down here once I'm out of lockdown. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, boys. All right. It was good talking right, to you. It's been a pleasure. Later. Once again, big thank you to my pal Matt Shubley. Shubs, uh, great guest to have on, and just a look into what it takes kind of to get up to the highest levels of golf. As for the next couple segments, Drew, let's dive into a little of our everyday life, I would say now. Me and the roommate are fostering a dog, and boy, oh boy, are we in over our heads right now. I know you have a, a good old pup, and I want to see what it was like during the puppy years because this thing is an absolute menace. Uh, we thought we had, you know... The, the first week, you got to expect a poop or a pee in the house. That's just yeah. standard for them to get used yep. to. Fine. Yep. Well, we've been going on about a month of he knows where to poop. It's in the yard. Like, we take him out probably six, seven times a day. We'll walk him at least three miles. And the other day, he just takes a poop right in, right in one of the bedrooms, just like oh, old time's no. sake for, for <laughs> really no reason. He had already pooped a couple of times during the day. Uh. Uh, it wasn't really after a meal or anything. I think the problem is he's been eating a little grass out in the yard, and we're trying to get him to stop that by, like, you know, going up and grabbing yeah, him out and being like, hey, like, don't, don't eat do the that. grass. Yeah. And so we think that caused some stomach issues possibly. Uh, what were the puppy years like, though? When when did Belle, you know, settle down if she ever has? Yeah, I, well— I think physically she settled down. It take, I mean, it well, took she's, years. She's thick it took now. years. Like, watch your mouth. <clears throat> she's not thick. She's big boned. Okay. And has big muscles. <laughs> Anyways, back to my point. For Belle, obviously, golden retrievers are full of energy for the majority of their lives. So it took Belle probably, you know, eight, nine, ten years, like, to get to like the back the back end of things like eight nine ten years for her to really settle down but for her to like really you know for for us to trust her you know around the house without the cage and like for her to be fully yeah. potty trained i bet it took you know probably between like eight months to a year before really everything was completely like you don't have to like, worry about it before before it's just like yeah like no cage she knows not to do any of that in the house. Like before we were totally square and like things were like, I guess, normal or where we wanted them to be. It is no doubt it's a process and it takes, it takes you know, repetition, a lot of patience, patience a oh ton of patience. God. And one thing that I'm always noting to people and I'm not insinuating that that is what's happening in your situation, but a lot of people are always blaming the dog and yelling at the dog. And it's like the majority of the time, I would say, you know, 60, 40, 70, 30, it's the, the owners. But at the same time, you're going to get those, those situations where 
you know, just, just the inconsistencies the of owning a puppy. And that's just, it is what it is. And it's brutal, but it's part of it. And, you know, so I, thank God Bell was, has always been like a very well-behaved dog for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have to go, you know, it never got to a point where we were like, what are we going to do? Like, this isn't stopping. Um, but it seems like that's not quite the case here, and it hasn't gone as smooth, at least in your situation. Yeah, it's a plot hound lab, so it got a ton of energy all day, so we're trying to yeah. you know, walk it once a day or have it go for a run. It just yeah. got the old snipping done, so it couldn't run for 10 days, so we couldn't really burn any energy. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's just like every every day you don't want to let them out of your sight or else you don't know what's going to happen type of deal like around the corner anything yeah, could, anything yeah could, you yeah. want him in the room with you that way you know you can you can stop if he starts to do a little squatting or ripping something down. apart yeah, yeah exactly. whatever it is so we're we're not to the point of trusting him in in another room yet but yeah we're working on it how old so how old is he like overall He's and then like eight when did months, you get him i think we've had He's him for eight two months, months. Old? yeah Okay. He was very shy, uh, timid dog. Yeah, he was real he timid to start, is. right? Yeah, he kind of still is. I don't know what the you know past owners did or. See, he so he was a rescue, or they like they gave him back, like they couldn't handle yeah, him. Yeah, that's what I. We don't really know. There was no backstory when we got him from the shelter to foster. Mm. Um, but he's getting a little better day by day. But there's still yep. the digging of the holes in the yard, uh, yeah. pooping in the yard. He's he's ripping up everything he can find. Yeah, honestly, part of that could be like like the past owners, like from birth, he he probably just knew a certain way or really had no guidance or yeah. really anything at all, probably. So who the hell knows? I'm not a dog whisperer, but that's my assumption. We talked so hopefully you can turn it around. In our in our true group, we had a little Zoom the other night and we were saying, isn't it crazy how much dogs love their food even though it's the same meal every day? It's it's unbelievable. And the, the crazier thing to me is it could be, you know, a piece of filet mignon, like a nice, it could be like a $120 steak piece cut up for Belle, or it could be like a salt, a stale saltine cracker Yeah. to her. They are as equal as anything has ever been in the, like, they're the same exact thing to Belle. It's, she could give a shit less. It's it does not matter. Sustenance. That's all it's it the, is. I, I think it's the idea of it, you know, yeah. what it could be, the potential. Something There's in the no, stomach. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and I don't know about your your new pup, but Belle, she could eat grass and sticks and rabbit shit till the till the hounds go home. Like yeah. it is, oh my god, it's an endless supply. She'll just be out there all day under the tree in the shade, just mowing grass and sticks. He's a big lizard hunter right now, so the bushes in Florida or like in the rocks, there's a ton of lizards. So yeah. if he sees one and they kind of get away from him, he'll either oh, he's dig up that dart spot at him. or he'll dart at the spot. He gets wrapped around because we have like a little leash out there that's yeah. tied up high. But he gets wrapped around the bushes more times than not. And then he's just crying out there he's because playing he, can't, himself. he just he can't, can't move it. and he, he yeah. has no idea what's going on. Oh, uh, that's so sad. <laughs> Poor guy. Yep. But that's with, funny, though. With that little dog segment, we, we run into our ever-recurring boy of the week this week. We have our own social media strategist, Bree Fernandez. All right, Bree, let's hear it. What's the boy of the week? Okay, so my boy of the week is John Krasinski. Oh, so I fell nice. in love with him. Jim Helpert, 
on The Office. And then now he does his Some Good News, um, you know, keep the spirits up during this whole situation and brought the cast together for the wedding um, reunion. They did the dance on Zoom and that was um, a real day maker right there when I saw that. Yeah, and no doubt about let's it. not forget he's Jack Ryan as well on the Amazon series, a pretty good TV show. Now, are you a fan of John Krasinski with a beard or without a beard? I don't know. I think without the beard, just because that's how you're introduced to him, like starting early on with The Office again. A, a young Jim, a young Jim John Krasinski. Yep. John Krasinski. Yeah. I know. Without- I'm always mixing those up every time. They just blend to me. Yeah. So it to like the goofy like nerdy john krasinski pam loving john krasinski well that's a hell of a pick this week brie thanks for coming on we will have you on for many more segments our social media strategist brie fernandez (laughs) and now for our first annual very excited to announce dad slash lame joke of the week Brought to you by your very own co-host, and here goes nothing. Helvetica in Times New Roman walk into a bar. Get out of here, shouts the bartender. We don't serve your type. Oh, that is just... (laughs) (laughs) That'll take a little to set into a few people. Uh, Some people might not get it right away, but it has a little... It has a little ringer at the end. So my my Microsoft Office fans yeah. can relate. Yes, absolutely. Uh, with that, let's wrap it up here, Drew. We're going to do our quote of the week. I've been watching a ton of World War II in color. I'm almost done with it on Netflix. I would advise all to go and watch it. It's a great history of what went on during World War II between you know the original German invasion of Europe uh, we also get the Pacific Theater and then back on the reinvasion, which is the Normandy Beach phase. I haven't got quite over to the Pacific Island hopping yet, but we'll get there. Isoroku Yamamoto, the Japanese Marshal Admiral of the Imperial Japanese Navy and Commander in Chief of the Combined Fleet during World War II, quoted after Pearl Harbor, saying, I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. I mean, that's as good as it gets. A man who understood the American drive in World War II, that if they didn't have the knockout punch, they weren't going to win the war. He studied at Harvard, actually, before ending up on the other side in World War II, so he knew the American culture and warned his uh, allies against the American resolve in the industrial economic horse it could be if it got into a full wartime position. So that's our quote of the week. It's one for the history books. Nothing Uh, like some war talk. Nothing like it. Absolutely one I will never forget. World War II, one of my favorite historical subjects. Uh, So that'll wrap it up on TWBLC this week. Pat from last year, play us out. What's for lunch? T-double-B-L-C. Stay in your seat. What's for lunch today? Sazits. Brown bag, brown bag. The Brown Bag Lunch Group. <laughs>